Welcome to the new Doxinopod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Doxinopod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, hello there and welcome to Doxinopod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have with us today our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. Dr. Perry is an associate medical director at WellMed, and she earned her undergraduate degree from Prairie View A&M University. Dr. Perry went on to graduate from Philadelphia's College of Osteopathic Medicine. She was a National Health Service Corps scholar there. Next, she completed her family medicine residency at Methodist, Methodist Charleston Medical Center, where she served as chief resident. Dr. Perry is board certified by the American Osteopathic Board of Family Physicians, She subsequently earned a master's in public health with an emphasis on health management and policy at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. In addition, Dr. Perry is a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine, and boy, that's something a whole lot of us can use. Oh, Dr. Perry, it is great to have you on again as our co-host. Yes, Ron, I look forward to every week to our meetings. This is a highlight of my highlight of my time with you, Ron. Oh, well, thank you. We love having you on and love talking yes. with you. And we're, we're going to be talking about something that I know is near and dear to your heart as a Absolutely. Uh, practicing physician, a primary care physician. Uh, and, and I'm curious, uh, you did a specialty in obesity, uh, which when you look at our population is a threat to a lot of people's health. What interested you in obesity? Well, I, I think from my own self, I've always had a love of food, and I think food is integrated into our society. Food, and we've we've kind of morphed into this society that doesn't isn't as physically active as we were ten or fifteen years ago. My daughter was little; I was always telling her, "Go outside, go outside, go play, go play, go play," because we sit in front of TVs. But food, exercise, plays a vital part as we start to age. It's interesting when I was a kid. Uh, it was a safer world, and my folks would throw me and my brother Jimmy out the door at sunrise, it often seemed like. Yes. I don't want to see your little butts back until the right. sun goes down. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we do live in a different world now, but we, there are creative ways that we can find to, get, find to get physical activity in, and there are ways that we can make the food that we eat now much healthier. And we'll talk more about that as we take up the topic of getting the care you need especially from the comfort of your home. Our special guest, Dr. Lee Fredholm, she's at the WellMed Supportive and Palliative Care Operation up in Austin, Texas. Lee is a physician there at the WellMed Palliative Care Clinic. She earned her medical degree at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, completed her residency at Dell Medical School in Austin. Dr. Fredholm is board certified in family medicine and hospice and palliative medicine. And when we last talked to her on Docs in a Pod, we talked about advanced directives, uh, a topic which we'll touch on again today because it is so important. And Dr. Fredholm, thanks for coming on again. Good to see you. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Share with us your thoughts about, uh, and we talked briefly about this off the air, and I loved that. Uh, I had mentioned to you as we were talking about aging uh, that when, when I was a kid, my grandparents who may have been in their late 50s or 60s, seemed so old and were. And when I go back now and look at their dates of death, uh, they're all passed away now. Uh, They died in their, most of them, in their late 60s or 70s. Uh, That's young today. 
What's the difference between then and now? Well, for a variety of reasons, uh, particularly in more developed nations, uh, more affluent nations, the the life expectancy for adults uh, is ranges between the age of about 78 uh, into the 80s. That's the average. So we have lots of folks you hear about centenarians, people who live to be 100. My own great grandmother lived to be 106 on my dad's side. So from a medicine standpoint, we've had to learn to think differently about um, the care of seniors because there's a big difference between a 65-year-old and a 100-year-old physiologically. So uh, so you may hear, I shocked Ron with the term old, old in our uh, conversation just before getting on, yeah. uh, old, old being older than 85, because again, there's a difference between a senior between the ages of 65 and 85 and someone who's over 85 in how our bodies are able to cope with illness and um, physiologic stress. Now, I know there's a lot of research going on on how to stop that aging clock. And so when you say old, old at 85, I mentioned to you, I'll be 81 in May. Uh, and uh, thinking about being old, old at 85 does not make me happy. <laughs> well, just well in some ways, it's a privilege. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I speak at senior centers a lot, just talking about random health um, topics. And so I was at a senior center last week, and there was a lady there who was 97. And I, I promise she looked 67. I was just like blown away mm -hmm. by this woman. And she said, well, what, what advice do you have for me? I said, well, what advice do you have for me? Because apparently you're doing <laughs> it right. You know, I'm like, I'm whatever you say, I'm going to do. So, you know, <laughs> the new old, old will probably, you know, as, as medicine progresses, would be pushed back next time you talk to us and maybe 95 you know what I mean sure and at 97 uh, uh looking as great as she did you as a primary care physician are surprised by that well well most certainly some people like um Leah was saying that some people have um there's thinking something in science called the centurion gene where some people live a long time. Sometimes it's just lifestyle. People are doing the right things. They're making the right food choices. They're eating the right amount of, you know, they're having the right amount of exercise. And that shows to the greatness of our bodies, how long now, it really can go. Now, before we jump back to Lee, I want to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have with us our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, and Dr. Lee Fredholm is with us. Dr. Fredholm is up in Austin at the WellMed Supportive and Palliative Care uh, Clinic there. And Dr. Uh, uh, Fredholm, talk to us about uh, how you get the care you need and how you prolong your wellness uh, from the comfort of your own home. So from my perspective as a palliative care physician, I mostly take care of or exclusively take care of people who are pretty sick um, across the age spectrum. And at WellMed, one of the things that's really attractive to me at, from WellMed and the reason I came to work for WellMed is the focus on prevention and the focus on keeping people well and functional as long as possible. So I think we do that well. And most of what you would see in wellness has to do with the things Dr. Perry has referenced, eating well, getting physical exercise, maintaining your core strength, preventing falls, um, taking care of things that are easy to prevent. But age at will catch up with all of us at some point. It's individual what age that is. For some people, it might be 75. Another person, in the case of my grandmother, could be 106. But the, the core elements of staying well as long as possible um, have to do with taking care of yourself. In the face of 
a chronic illness or a major physiologic stress, even folks who have taken really good care of themselves inside are still, in the case of this lady that Dr. Perry referenced, 97. So while she may be able to live well up until the time that a, a major illness happens, when that happens inside, her, her body is still 97. So um, part of what we try to do is have a spectrum of resources for our patients so that as patients get sick and have more trouble being independent and keeping their functional level, their ability to care for themselves, then we can extend additional resources out to them in their homes. I want to come back to something you just said, because it really stands out. Uh, the 97-year-old that Dr. Perry saw at a senior center who looks fabulous, on the inside, you said, her body's still 97. What does that mean? What happens inside us as we age? Well, that means in the case of, um, let's take a cancer diagnosis, for example. Um, as we age, our bodies have less capacity to repair and renew. So if you think about the cancer itself is taking a lot of energy from the body, and then the treatment, if, a, if that patient, um, based on her, what we call performance status, ability to care for herself and to be functional, were to choose to have chemotherapy, for example, the impact of that chemotherapy is going to be far greater than it would be for somebody who is 30 years younger, even if they look on the surface like they have the same performance status or functional level. I so that's like you can have all the facelifts you want, but underneath that, it's still you at that age. I 100% agree with Dr. what Dr. Fredholm was saying. I was just telling a patient earlier today because she was she's in her 80s and she said, I want to wean myself off of the blood pressure medicine. I said, well, let's, mm -hmm. let's just talk about a few things. And I'm sure, Leah, you probably heard the same thing over and over again. Let's just talk about a few things. I said, our body ages on the inside just like it does on the outside. For example, I dye my hair on a weekly basis. I have yeah. a billion pair of reading glasses everywhere. Well, guess what? The ability of our heart and our blood vessels to regulate our blood pressure like it used to is impaired as we get older. So our goal should be maybe to take as little medicine as possible, eat as healthy as possible, but don't disappoint yourself when, when we say you may not be able to come off of the medicine. That's not a personal testament that you failed your body. You know, we're like cars. Over time, that car needs a little bit more maintenance, a little better gas. Sometimes the parts have to be changed. It don't stay new forever. Yes. Boy, and by the same point. token, um, interventions that may be really helpful between the ages of say 50 and 75 may have downsides over the age of 75. So aspirin is a great example. There's more information coming out about the risks of aspirin, uh, particularly in the old, old. And, um, and so it might be time for some things to stop because the benefit is no longer there in an, in an older body. A lot of us were told to take a, a 80 milligram aspirin uh, every day to prevent heart attack. Uh, but that's, if I understand you correctly, no longer true for old, old people. Well, I would be careful about making generalized statements, but I do think it's something to speak to your individual physician about. So there are lots of uh, variables there about whether an individual patient should remain on aspirin, but the, the risks of aspirin in that population are getting more and more defined as time passes. And so when that risk outweighs the potential benefit is something that each individual patient should talk to their doctor about, um, because I, I would be cautious to make that blanket statement. Now, I want to come back in just a moment and talk more about uh, a favorite topic Dr. Perry has, 
diet and exercise and how that plays into building your own wellness program. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us as we talk with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, and our special guest from up in uh, uh, Austin, the capital of the great state of Texas, Dr. Lee Fredholm. Dr. Fredholm is a specialist in palliative and hospice care, and we're talking with her about ways in which you can improve your quality of life, extend your quality of life, and doing it in the comfort of your home. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. We're so pleased you're sticking with us right here on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, and on our uh, hotline up in the city of Austin, Texas, Dr. Lee Fredholm. Uh, she's at the Wellmed Supportive and Palliative Care Clinic there, and we are so happy to have you with us as we talk about improving your quality of life, improving yourself while staying home as well. And Dr. Fredholm, uh, where does diet and exercise fit into this mix of living well, living longer? Well, within my scope, the, the patients that I take care of, it's uh, it's a change in focus. It's still important, but a lot of our patients, because they are very ill, um, have different medication interactions with food. They may have trouble tolerating certain foods. So, you know, pre-chronic illness, um, debilitating illness, it's really about making sure that you're getting lots of vegetables and um, reducing your animal protein, things like that. For my patients, it's more about what can they eat that's comfortable, that they can afford, that they can prepare, depending on their own physical limitations. And um, honestly, it's one of the things that we enjoy most about life. Eating is um, ideally is an experience where you're having social interaction with your friends or your family and you're enjoying the food. And so trying to focus on um, not letting that get squeezed out by all the health care, all the medical care that's required. And where does social interaction fit into this mix? Because uh, especially during the pandemic, so many folks were alone and lonely and so many folks struggle with loneliness. Yes. So one of the biggest comorbid conditions or disease states that affect the senior population is depression. And I'm sure Dr. Fred Holm would agree or co-sign when I say that social interaction greatly helps with depression, that, that feeling of that tribe feeling. So um, a lot of my patients whose tribe has changed because they're empty nesters, friends may have passed on, adult children move away. We recommend that this interaction, not only to eat healthy together, but just to have that fellowship. I mean, what, what would you say, Dr. Fred Holm? I 100% agree. You know, one of the things that happens with illness is it's very clarifying. So sometimes the things that were important before you were facing a serious illness fall away. And at the end, what's important to my patients overwhelmingly is people. 
their friends and their family and, and maximizing their time with those folks as much as they can. I would also add that for caregivers of seriously ill people, caregiving is a 24 hour a day job and it squeezes out a lot of that social interaction, which is vitally important for the mental health and physical well-being of caregivers. So staying connected to our people, finding those people and remaining connected to them is a, is a pivotal part of health. So many caregivers feel alone uh, and isolated and unfortunately are. Uh, we do another program through Wellmet called Caregiver SOS On Air, uh, co-hosted uh, by me and Carol Zerniel, and we deal with that issue all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you get caregivers to reach out, Dr. Fred Holm? How do you get them uh, to understand there's help out there, there's a societal connection out there, they have to be open to it. They have to be open to it and also to make time, which can be the biggest hurdle. So um, if you're the caregiver of someone who's seriously ill and you have to ask someone to come in and help you, that that is a hard, that's a hard thing for a lot of folks. Um, also underneath that, when you're asking someone else to come in, you're entrusting your loved one to another person. And um, and that's hard. So the biggest hurdle, I think, is just for the caregiver to recognize their the importance. They're going to put themselves in whatever position they need to so their loved one is well cared for, often to their own detriment. Mm-hmm. And so making sure they understand that caring for yourself is also caring for your loved one. Because if you if you get sick then and you're not able to be here to be a caregiver, well, then your loved one is going to suffer then too. And caregivers have a higher mortality rate, a higher rate of death. Um, in the year after caregiving, as well as a higher rate of chronic illness. That physiologic stress is real, even if you're handling it well. And many caregivers predecease their care recipient. Yes. There's a lot of caregiver guilt. Um, Also, caregivers anecdotally in the studies will say that they don't want to relinquish that care because like Dr. Fred Holm was saying, they feel guilty about letting someone else care for their loved one. It's almost if, you know, you're saying, well, that's a a reflection that you may not love your loved one, which is not true. So that's a hurdle that we have to get over to let them know that you can't do it all by yourself. There are resources for you. Let us help you. That's what we're here for. And your primary care provider, especially with the organization that Dr. Fred Holm and I work for, have resources for the caregiver. We can direct you to respite care for, for your loved one who is ailing. There are resources and we want to help. Most certainly we want to help. And Dr. Fred Holm, and if you get help, it may not be exactly to your specifications. It may not be as five star as you would provide, but in order for you to hang in there long term, mm-hmm. we have to accept that. I always tell my caregivers that people who do this for a living, if you go into any hospital or skilled nursing facility and you see people providing really good care, you know what they do after 12 hours? They go home. They go home. They and go they home. get a 12 hour break. They leave it at the office. Off. Mm-hmm. And, and they have breaks built in. The caregiver in the home does not. Well, that's a really good point. I, I want to come uh, back to something that we've also danced around uh, as I introduced you and as we talked. I, I noted that uh, your specialties include hospice and palliative care. And many of the folks listening uh, are, are still, I think, somewhat confused about what is hospice care versus palliative care. Do they overlap? Are they different? If you're in palliative care, does that mean uh, the end is near? If you're in hospice care, do you get palliative care? Okay. So um, these are great questions. So 
Hospice care initiated um, in the 70s in Europe and then spread to the U.S. And it's really intended for people who are in the last six months of their life, as best we can tell. That's an educated guess on the part of your doctors. Um, and hospice brings in additional resources. Uh, it's, it's very complete. It's the most complete healthcare that's available in the home, but it's reserved for people who are in the last six months of life. Palliative care um, includes that hospice period, but it also stretches back to the point of diagnosis of a serious illness, which in the United States, most people who have a serious illness will have it for 10% of their lifespan. So for our 97-year-old, that's 9.7 years of illness. The, only the last six months would be covered by hospice. The first nine-ish years would be palliative territory. And we often hear people say, boy, I, I wish I'd gotten grandma into hospice sooner. Yes, it always seems too early for hospice until it's too late. That's right. So any hospice is good, but more hospice is better, generally speaking. Right. And people always think, even with my own father, he just didn't want to be into hospice because he says, no, I'm going to beat this thing. I'm not that sick. And of course, like, and I, you know, you try to respect the right, the, the, the rights of the patient. But of course, like five days later, he passed away. So, so, you know, people always think that if I'm, I'm going into hospice, that's a death sentence and y'all are just throwing me away. That is not the case. That's not the case at all hospice, we want to make sure you die with dignity, that you're comfortable, that you're in an environment that you want to be in. And most certainly we want this to be your 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 wishes. And I think it's the job of physicians like Leah and myself to really explain to the patient and their family what hospice really is and what it really is not. We're not it's a very good way. example. Yeah. It's a good example going on now. Former President Jimmy Carter went into hospice several weeks ago. And when he first went in, a lot of the major media were portraying it as well. Any minute he's belly up. And, and it's been several weeks now, uh, which I guess, Lee, is not a surprise. Right. I, I mean, nationally, um, about 40 percent of folks will get fewer than seven days of hospice. So there are a lot of reasons for that. But in general, hospice uh, philosophy is not um, I'm paraphrasing here, so I want to make sure I get it right. Um, hospice does not add days to your life, but it adds life to your days. So the, the focus shifts, right? When we see that our interventions, we mentioned before that chemotherapy in a 97-year-old is much different than chemotherapy in a 65-year-old. Many times our interventions can actually shorten life. Right. So when we get to the point in an individual's illness where we're at a place where we, there are a lot of things we can do, but none of these things will lengthen your life. Right. So at that point, we maybe change tactics and say, we can't make your life longer, but we could make it better Right. in whatever time remains. Right. And you also mentioned earlier, uh, one of the things we try to do is get people uh, who are aging and old, old to greatly reduce the risk of falls in the news recently. Uh, the minority leader of the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, in the mm -hmm. hospital, his second fall. Uh, first fall, he broke his shoulder, had to be operated on in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, the county judge in Bear County, a judge Peter Sakai, recently fell uh, and had to have knee surgery. Falling is so common, especially among seniors, is it not, Lee? It's common and it's dangerous. So it, it can be dangerous just from the injuries that can be sustained in the fall. And also many of our patients are on medications that make it more likely for them to bleed. 
And um, so that is a consideration as well. So yes, everything that we can do to prevent falls. I mentioned core strength early on, focusing on your core strength, beginning at, I don't care what age you are, core strength, start now and maintain that over time. That's your best, best defense against falls. And what do you recommend? We can do around the edges, like making sure you don't have throw rugs and fall hazards or trip hazards. You know, yoga is great. Squats, wall squats, um, balance exercises. Um, Dr. Perry, what would you recommend? Same thing. Utilize your senior centers. They have yoga for seniors. They have chair exercises. I've taken those classes. I thought I was going to be the best in the class. I was not. I was not. (laughs) It really works. Yeah, several years ago, I got into a water aerobics class uh, with seniors uh, at a local gym, and I figured, man, this is going to be a snap. I'm a swimmer. I know how to swim. I'm much younger than these people. My tongue was on the bottom of the pool uh, after like 10 minutes, and these other folks who I thought were really old were just pumping away. I get it, Ron, because at one point, beads of sweat were on my forehead, and we're doing chair yoga, and I'm like, am I having a stroke? What's going on? So, (laughs) yeah, all all the seniors had been doing it for, like, weeks, and they were so good at it. So, start. You got to start. Well, we're having too much fun. We're having too much fun. I got to stop you. We are flat out of time. Yes. I want to thank Dr. Lee Fredholm for joining us from uh, the Palliative and uh, uh, Hospice Care Center in Austin. Thank you to our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. Thanks for joining us on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll do it again. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker. And associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.